inspired by the Canadian Federation of the Blind. Outlook, a show about accessibility, advocacy, and equality. I'm Brian. And I'm Carrie. Outlook. Radio Western. Good morning, everybody. You are listening to Outlook on Radio Western this morning, Monday morning, or on all podcast services. I'm here with Brian, my brother. Hello, Brian. Hello, Carrie. How are you doing today? Oh, you know. Summertime now, so it's nice and hot outside. I was out for a nice walk recently. I went to the dentist, so nice to get out and get a, get a walk in. And perfect day for it when I did it, actually. It was breezy and you know how we sometimes talk about weather on this show because it's such a fascinating topic, right? We did. You'd think we wanted to be, um, you know, meteorologists or something when we grew up. But <laughs> <laughs> but actually, we're actually here today to talk with someone else on the show. Yes. And we another looking forward to that. Another Carrie connection. So thank you so much, <laughs> Carrie, for, for setting, setting this one up or at least making the connection initially back in March. So our guest on today's show is... Uh, Somebody else from Ontario by the name of Justin Evangelo. Welcome, Justin, to Outlook. Brian, Carrie, thank you so much. It's a real pleasure to be hosted on a show that has one of the most superb audio qualities I've ever heard out of a podcast. Well, thanks. Nice. Well, that's all. That's all, Brian. Yeah. Thanks so much for the for the feedback, and we really appreciate it. You've been listening to a lot of our episodes, and uh, we're always looking for listeners, and just mainly to spread the word. I mean, it's not necessarily about just us it's about everyone we're trying to talk things so that the whole disability community can relate and you know everyone has a different experience but we all have some things in common including in this case blindness or visual impairment so we will be touching on that quite a bit throughout today's episode so carrie perhaps yeah, so talk a little bit about <laughs> it's always weird my carrie connection yeah talk a yeah. little bit about your carrie connection through the peterborough independent podcasters network back in march i believe it was yeah, feels like forever ago now. I I don't even know how it happened. I think it's Facebook, right? Like I follow a lot of podcasts on my newsfeed. Uh, I follow a lot of podcast pages. That's why I like Facebook. That's how I stay connected. I'm not much of a Twitter person, more of Facebook. So I follow all these pages. And so I must have been following some podcaster pages. And uh, I guess it was one of those suggested things. Facebook could see what I was, you know, following and liking these days. So it sort of gave me a connection. And I, I just read this thing about, uh, yeah, the Peterborough Independent Podcasters. We're having a, a workshop one afternoon. And so I thought, huh, I don't know much about what's going on in Peterborough. <laughs> uh, so I thought I'd sign up. And I, did I tell you about it, Brian, or didn't I? Yes, you did. So I, I think I joined <laughs> on pretty quick. Like it was pretty last minute, I think. But I was like, oh, I'll check this out and see what this is all about. And then, so yeah, I got on there and it was Justin along with uh, somebody else from Peterborough, from Trent Radio, the station that uh, Justin has a, a couple shows on throughout the year. Um, so he spoke first, I believe, and did a whole presentation on his podcast, The Disenabled Podcast, or also a radio show on Trent Radio. So Justin did a very interesting presentation on that. And right away after that, I, I think I chimed in and asked a question or made a comment or something that we also had this show because... We're always trying to network and connect with other shows in Canada, especially, right, that talk about disability as well. So it was quite refreshing to 
connect with Justin and find that out. So I think right after the the uh, seminar or workshop, I sent Justin an email and got back to me right away. And uh, yeah, it all sort of sprung from there. Yeah, and it was interesting. Again, I mean, you could relate to a lot of stuff. Uh, Justin, you talked a lot about how you make your podcast and a lot of the audience was clearly cited and, and didn't really know how somebody who can't see might do that. And that's the kind of thing that, you know, Brian could talk about, but it was interesting to hear another perspective. Um, are you calling in from Peterborough or where are you calling in from? No, I'm exactly. actually at my home in a little, well, I think it's officially a town now. We just broke the town credentials for actually becoming a town of Newcastle. It used to be a village for the longest time, and I've lived here all of my life. Wow, congratulations on becoming that next step. Well, I guess, yeah. <laughs> next stop is city. It's going to take a while, but it, it keeps <laughs> expanding, and uh, some people argue it's too big for its bridges, but I like <laughs> it because it's familiar, and when you can't see all that well, you learn the familiar roots, and if someone were to take me away from here, if, if I were to move, I, I definitely miss this place. That's nice to hear, because, you know, we grew up out in the country near a small little village called Sweeberg, and uh, we had a lot of friends in that little little hamlet, as I, I don't know what you call it, <laughs> growing up, uh, but we grew up between a place called Sweeberg and a place called Beachville, so, you know, growing up in those small town areas, our, our primary school was right in that that little village of Sweeberg, and so it was a nice place to start, um, so I, we get what you're saying, I think. Like with the connection, actually, my mom has a house out in Beachville or around there, and uh, I was shocked to to see how small that little—I don't even know what you'd call it—hamlet, little village. I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the first time she showed me the house, I was like, I, I thought the road that we had to turn off of to get to it was actually her driveway. She's like, "No, this is a road, and it's nothing <laughs> but packed down dirt with a few gravel rocks in it." Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. So, wow, well, you can't get any more, you know, uh, real than this. I was like, good God almighty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's quite the connection. And we've been talking since March, but it's, we've been talking for a couple months and you start to learn things about people when you get to know them and uh, hadn't heard that yet. So. Yeah, we've been sending a lot of messages, Justin and I, back and forth through Messenger, just because we're both into audio. We both have a podcast. We're both visually impaired or blind or however you prefer to say that say it and so yeah it's been really nice to get to know and we've through this through the canadian federation of the blind we've met so many people from out west because that's where it is based out of so it's so nice to connect with even not not specifically relating to cfb but just to connect with someone else in ontario who is blind because yeah it's so spread out here and it's hard sometimes to make those connections so uh, i think this is a really great carrie connection she always finds so many so many great guests for this show. So I just really appreciate that. Justin, maybe do you want to tell us? Uh, we are actually, we are going to be um, teaming up uh, when this is released here now in July here. Uh, Justin had us on his show a couple months back and uh, we're going to be able to connect to the two shows. So check it, if you're checking out this episode, uh, check the notes for the podcast or whatever, and you'll see our, our interview on his show. And we will get to the show uh, that you do there in a bit, Justin, but we always kind of like to start earlier on than that. <laughs> um, you want to tell us maybe a bit about you're kind of saying you, where you grew up and uh, what it was like. What was it kind of like to grow up that there and what, what kind of childhood was your childhood? Well, okay. Mm, 
a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Um, I was diagnosed, I'll give you the Cliff's notes because I could go on for hours. <laughs> I was diagnosed with uh, retinoblastoma. It's a rare form of eye cancer. I think it's the odds of getting it are one in 1.1 million. So let that uh, mathematical statistics sink in. I was diagnosed with it. I had all of my left eye taken. It's a prosthetic, and there's also a tumor that's non-removable in my right eye, so I have around 1% of vision, a little bit less. I grew up, as I said, in the village of Newcastle, and it shocks a lot of people to know that I actually went through the traditional Catholic school system from JK all the way to grade 12, and it was it was all right. I went to high school not in Newcastle, but in a small, well, small, it was bigger than Newcastle, but in a small town right next to Newcastle called Bowmanville. And I've had, well, what some would call a pretty, you know, typical life. Um, can't really think of anything to stand out other than learning how to mobilize myself and orient myself in a familiar place and just learning the basic roots. And um, growing up, I had a really, really supportive family, sometimes to the point of being overprotective. I'm not sure how, f <laughs> with your family dynamic, when, when we chatted a couple months ago, how that went. I, I'm an only child, and I know you guys grew up in, I, I couldn't imagine growing up in a, a, in a house with six people in it. So I don't know how you guys are still sane, but some of my family was supportive some were overprotective and i, I seem to well, turn out all right um to start off in terms of strengths for me i was really academically inclined and it was assumed that you know i was gonna go to gonna go to university and uh you know be this great star student uh things have sort of taken a, a detour with that uh but i'll get to that I imagine you guys have some questions about that, so I, I don't want to take up the entire hour in one answer. <laughs> and uh, as, well, as I've matured, it's it's sort of I didn't catch this audio bug to sort of put it lightly until I tried my hand at live broadcasting for Trent Radio, which is where the show and by extension the podcast Disenabled D I S E N A B L E D shameless plug was born and. I was 18 at the time, just about to turn 19, and uh, it's been a match made in heaven ever since. My previous outlet was creative writing, and I still do it, but not as much as audio. It just, uh, well, I guess it's sort of oxymoronic to say audio speaks to me because you, you're the you know you're the one speaking into the mic. But mm -hmm. uh, it's it's my new muse, my new passion, and I I guess you could call it my one thing that drives me that keeps me you know sanely insane and um i think that's a brief summary of of who i am as as we get more specific as the show goes on uh yeah that's me in a nutshell yeah and we're all about uh well we're we're all about rare rarity because uh you know so certain blindness conditions can be rare I was reading about our condition, which is senior Loken syndrome, and they say it's estimated that one in a million people have it. So all of these rare conditions that you that you hear about, and it's hard to know exactly how these are measured and how accurate they all are. But these, uh, yeah, it's just interesting to hear about all the different 
you know, sometimes when people hear about blindness, they think it's maybe like very something very specific, but it's so much variation and there's so many different different things involved. So uh, it's different for everyone. Yeah, and I can also relate on the uh, artificial left eye prosthesis club. I'm in the same boat there. Uh, different reasons, of course. And uh, I don't know how much I've talked about that on Outlook, but I will talk about it more in the future because it's it's, it's an interesting subject, I think. I don't know how, um, how much you ever talk about that part, Justin, but uh, I didn't know if I realized it, that. It's, so. it's all the time for me. I always say how it's such a cool party trick. I'm not shy about showing off my collection of previous eyes because every once in a while I have to <laughs> yeah. read I just, I embrace it because there's, there's, if you can't laugh at it, then you're, you're, I feel like you're taking yourself too seriously. So every time around Halloween, look out, and I, I hope you're drinking something clear and that you have a decent amount of sight, because otherwise you might find something <laughs> in, when you take a swig that you might not be expecting. Yeah, that's the, that's the total opposite <laughs> of Carrie, I think. You've, I mean, I, I, well, maybe not quite the opposite. It's just I don't see you playing any party tricks with your artificial <laughs> eye care or anything like that. Oh, come on. Or am I, am I incorrect? I don't know. Come on. No, I mean, I, okay. You said you have a collection of old ones, um, the ones you've had over mm-hmm. your, your life. I, I have the same sort of thing. So I, I'm not a fan of, I like to leave the current one where it is um, <laughs> for me, but, but I have a, a few other old ones that I have been known to bring to my writing group uh, at the library when we used to uh, take turns bringing in these different items from home. And then we would share, we'd share them at the table and we'd be able to write about them. So I brought my artificial eye in once to do that. I've made a joke about losing it in the pool at an eighth grade end of the year choir party. I, you know, I try to make make it a joke to get through these things sometimes also, but. <laughs> Sorry, so I, don't to, common, I don't mean Justin to dis- I. diminish your your uh, acceptance no. of the artificial eye. No, 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 it's, uh, it's not for everybody. And I mean, personality wise, that's the most. Uh, that's really the most extroverted thing I'll do is 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 that I'm I'm a really reclusive introverted person. I mean, I can remember in our conversation when I had you on disenabled, Brian, you said I can stay in my apartment for months on end and it's like, well, I can I can really relate to that. Uh I I'm not a social butterfly by any stretch, but every once in a while Christmas and Halloween, I show my face and then for the other 10 months and whatever, however many days of the year. You only see me two out of every 365 days, and then for the other 363, I'm, I'm hiding away. I'm planning my next evil plot. Save up. Right? Yeah, you, you got to plan it from home yeah. and then and get out. <laughs> Release it into the world. Well, I can also relate on, on the writing part of it, and uh, I think I, I keep meaning to write more about um, prosthetics and, what, and you know, artificial eyes and what that's like for me and what it is in general and how the process works. Because I think nobody really understands and everybody always makes jokes about glass eyes and that's fine, but it's not exactly accurate or I mean it was and uh, I should really do some more research on the history of it. But uh, I don't know if you've ever looked into the history of that sort of thing, Justin, but that's my kind they, of Well, as far as I know, they switched the material to a much more plastic acrylic type because the glass eye actually had to be taken out and put back <laughs> in on the daily. Heaven forbid it, it broke or it cracked and it was just... It, as far as I know, it became such a safety issue, not just because of it cracking inside someone's socket, but also because when you're taking something in and out so frequently on the daily, your socket can actually become infected. So they just said, okay, what material yeah. could we make this out of as to where the person would only have to take it out every so often, maybe to give it a nice clean, but that they wouldn't constantly be taking it out and infecting and irritating the socket. Right. So when did you get your first one? 
then? I got my first one in two th- when I was three, so 2004. Okay. And do you have many memories from that, or is it kind of a Not blur? really. I mean, the one of the earliest memories I have is, real, is just uh, n- sort of vague. The last of my chemo treatments were... I wasn't. I knew I wasn't going to be jabbed with needles anymore. As, as sad as that mm. sounds, um, I was happy about that. And and then you know, off I went to you know play in the dirt and I guess you could say be a be a kid. Yeah. No. There's nothing wrong with a three year old wanting the needles to stop. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. I I was twelve when I got mine. So yeah, I was a bit older for the first one. So how many have you had? Because um, you know, children grow. Obviously, the shape of their face and their mm-hmm. eye sockets are growing the whole time. So how how did that work? I have about I'm going to say five or six. I just got a new one in December, and people mm-hmm. always ask me, "Well, how do you know when it's time to get your eye either resized or get a new one?" And I say I get splitting headaches on the left side of my head, and that's usually when I get them frequently enough. That's letting me know that something's wrong, and there's a there's an alignment issue. So when I, it's, it's funny because when I tell people, "Hey, I can pop my eye out on command," they're like, "No, you can't." And then um, I do, and they run away, and that's why I have no friends. I'm joking, <laughs> of course, but to a certain degree, it's you know I've I've even had people lose bets over me popping my eye out and i bet you know five ten bucks you can't i'm like well it's gonna be sadly disappointed (laughs) it sort of reminds me of my when i used to used to have to wear a back brace due to scoliosis of the spine oh yeah and so at school i'd be like or people would they knew that i had this brace so they'd go up to someone that didn't they'd be like punch him in the stomach really as hard as you can they'd be like what are you sure it's like yeah go for it go for it (laughs) and it would really confuse people and yeah that could hurt so (laughs) oh yeah yeah (laughs) Right, I remember that. That's awesome. Yeah. So you'd mentioned school growing up. So if you could just go into a little bit more detail about that and what sort of support you had as a as a blind student, like a teacher for blind students or Braille teacher or how that sort of worked throughout your school if you found you had enough support or not enough or how that sort of went throughout the years. There was never really an issue in obtaining additional support, especially when I was going through elementary from JK to grade eight, I had an educational assistant on top of a what well, what some people call vision teacher, teacher for people who are blind. However, you want you so know, many person, names, first language or not. Same thing. Yeah, and it, it, some people are comfortable uh, with one name or both. I personally, it goes either way for me, and whatever sounds better in conversation. But when I graduated elementary school, it was just me and uh, my my vision teacher from grade nine to 12 and it was pretty smooth sailing. Um, I had a resource period, so I was taking limited semesters instead of three classes. I would, uh, sorry, instead of four classes, I would only take three. And then my resource period would be basically to finish up. um, I could go on a tangent here. Yeah, whatever. We've got some time. Basically in Braille, because I had most of my material converted into Braille or tactile mediums, in science and math subjects, there's a lot of graphs, diagrams, that kind of thing, whether it's anatomy or a whole host of spreadsheets or whatever, and that takes time to complete different assignments and homework and whatnot. That resource period was actually meant for me to complete my work so I could keep up with the curriculum, and then when I didn't have to take sciences or maths anymore, 
I did the last four semesters from grade 11 through to grade 12 as full semesters. So four classes a piece, uh, eight in total, and then obviously the last 16 in total over the two years. And that's that's basically, I did all right. Well, I say all right, high 90s. I think I was the third or fourth best in my class. I don't like to brag. I don't want to sound like, you know, a pompous you know I got what, pretty but, high uh, marks in high school, actually. Not to, <laughs> not to brag or anything either, but yeah, it's just it seemed to, I know a lot of people really kind of said, oh, high school was the worst. And it's just different for everyone. But I was still very serious about school then. And looking back, sometimes I wish I wasn't maybe quite as serious sometimes because my friends were sort of hanging out and partying a little bit. And I was very straight sort of throughout high school, which isn't a bad thing, obviously. But it was just looking back, it's interesting to think about. For sure. And I mean, having the ability, at least I did, to study for maybe 30 minutes and then take the test and still, you know, get a 90. It's like, all right, what? I don't really have to apply myself if I don't try to. Not that I wanted to get away with being complacent because that, that doesn't really set groundwork for really strong discipline. But hey, uh, I did that. That's how I <laughs> skated by because I, I, I really lost interest in school by the time I was midway through grade 10. So I just, I'm not going to say I coasted, but unless it was a project or test that I was really serious about or really liked the teacher, I would just cram the night before and uh, somehow miraculously, you know, get a high mark on it. And one thing led to another. Next thing I knew, I was walking across the stage and uh, getting a bunch of awards. I was like, oh, how'd that happen? So there you go. Yeah, I mean, school is different for everyone, like Brian said, and some people just seem to do do well when others seem to struggle a little more. And sometimes that's you, you better do better academically than socially or vice versa. And sometimes you just you seem to do well all, all, all the way through um, about Catholic school. Brian and I did not go to Catholic school. Um, without getting too deep into a whole other subject, <laughs> I guess, because we, I mean, we have a high, we actually had a Catholic high school here in the town where our high school is here in Woodstock. Uh, so we always knew kids who went to it. Uh, I believe you had some friends yes, that did. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we always heard kind of stories, but like, was it much different as far as getting services and, and, um, the whole experience of it as a blind student? I assume you were the only blind student in the school or were there others? As far as I know, in my elementary school of just over 500 students, I was the only one. But in my high school, I think there was one graduating as I started my grade nine year, and then it was just me, and that was a school of about 11, 1,200 students, so it's pretty sizable. And from what I've heard, because I've talked to people who are blind who are going through the public school system Apparently, the Catholic board is leaps and bounds easier and much more accessible if you need extra help. I don't know why that is, but I haven't heard too many positive things about getting extra support for anyone who has a, a physical disability, deaf, blind, or deaf, blind, combined. Uh, even wheelchair accessibility is really, really difficult. I don't know why that is in the public board, but for nothing but good things to say about the Catholic school system. The only drawback for me was that sometimes um, the teachers would, or the guidance counselor would try to push me into certain courses that weren't going to set me up for university because in a sense, at least I thought they doubted my capability. It's like, oh, you're disabled or whatever. But as soon as I 
prove myself, got, you know, those high 90s, like I said before, in the early grades, they sort of laid off, let me alone, and let me make my own decisions. <laughs> what a novelty that is when you're disabled. And honestly, in terms of curriculum, from what I've heard, the only extra thing we had to learn about, the only extra subject, was religion. And I happened to have the same religion teacher three out of the four years, and he was just fantastic, one of the best teachers I've ever had. So I can't say too badly that learning Bible scriptures and actually thinking deeply about them in a much more philosophical way, which is the approach that the teacher I had for the three out of the four years was taking with his students, that was the, that actually got me into philosophy. So I can't say too many bad things uh, overall about the, the Catholic system. I don't know how was it for the, you two going through the public system. Yeah, I think I would say that we were very lucky. And again, there's so many other factors too, probably besides the school system or the, whether it's the um, school pri uh, public school board or private. Um, it also a lot depends on the area and what people are around as far as teachers. I feel like Braille teachers and this type of stuff are, are sort of hit and miss depending where you are in Canada and probably anywhere else too. So we were very lucky that, well, one thing that kind of helped in a way was that we were both siblings born blind. So we went to the same school. So that kind of made it easier for the teachers that, you know, there was two of us, we were three years apart. So we didn't have the same class, but we did have this, at least through elementary school, we had the same um, uh, teachers as far as a pupil aid and, and the uh, Braille teacher through, through elementary. And then it kind of switched in high school. But Carrie, I don't know if you have any comments. I just think overall, it actually was very, very amazing. We had really great support throughout school and it was such a great experience for us. But again, there's so many factors and depending where you might live, it might not be as, as easy as uh, other spots. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it, I think it depends again. Um, it depends on the support you have from your family. Uh, if they go to bat for you kind of in the early years when you're not really quite equipped to do it for yourself yet, like you say, Justin, again, people have often have low expectations of blind people and students aren't immune from that. And, uh, you have to be able to push back on that, but you have to learn how. And if you're not given the, 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 the tools to know you have that power and that you need to speak up for yourself. So that's great to hear you did that. And uh, Brian and I had each other in a way, and we had a great family behind us, which makes a big difference. My only issues, my only issue just came because I had some other health issues that kept getting in my way. Uh, as far as just getting the help we needed in school for the blindness to be able to, to you know, keep up with everyone else and stuff and but you know like have it tailored to what the kind of needs we had but also be able to to just do as well as possible i think we were pretty well set up for that too yeah so i think it just depends yeah and i think one thing that you pointed out there carrie that justin i'm not sure how this was for you but our our uh, parents uh, in particular in the very early years before i even remember really fought for this because they were you know especially being here in ontario they were kind of ex expecting us to go to the the uh, W. Ross and Brantford, um, not our parents, but the school board wasn't too keen originally on hiring people and getting this so that we could be integrated into the school system. So so our, our mom really fought for it um, when we were very young, which definitely helps a lot. So a lot of it does have to do with the support you have from your parents. So I don't know, Justin, did you do you know, did your parents or you in the early years have to kind of fight a lot or sort of not even, I don't know the best word to say that, but just to kind of make sure that you got the support you, you needed? Or do you think that was quite smooth? 
from the beginning? There were there were a lot of check-ins from the get-go from my family, whether it was my parents and uh, and or my even my grandparents, who I was well, I still am close with one of them. Um, the other one sadly passed away so many 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 years ago, and. It's really interesting you mentioned the advocacy because the vision teacher I had, actually, she would constantly tell me, speak up for yourself, advocate for yourself. And my my parents also encouraged that, too. Don't sit idly by if you're struggling or if you are dealing with something that is causing you to fall behind or whatever and, and, and enduring challenges that are really unnecessary that can't keep you up with your peers then tactfully as tactfully as you can i've had some real interesting teachers over especially in high school that i've had to you know once twice 15 25 times say hey um can you get this to so and so so that i can have an accessible copy of it Sometimes people just don't either understand or they choose not to get it. I'm not sure which. I don't want to speak for anybody. But I'm glad that the ability and the value set to actually speak up for myself and not just roll over and accept what others do or, by extension, don't do as a form of negligence, that that sort of extends to the real world when, well, I'm doing really anything that involves some sort of collaboration. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's it's all about advocacy when you're blind. And again, it's not for everyone and it's not something you can spend every day all the time doing because it gets exhausting, but you do have to really speak up for yourself. And that's harder for some than others that are more shy and just not as confident, but you really do have to because other people won't generally know. And I know all about that, and especially in, well, throughout school too, but in college in particular, about certain tests just not being done or it's last, so last minute that the teacher gets it to the accessibility center and stuff like that. So yeah, so many things to, to keep on top of, but uh, as long as you do speak out and don't just kind of sit there idle and, and uh, let things happen without your control, then it usually ends up working out okay. So for anyone who's just tuning in, we're speaking with Justin Evangelo from... The show Disenabled, it's the radio show and a podcast. Um, You can hear it on Trent Radio, not during the summer, I don't think, but generally throughout the rest of the season. He also does uh, another show, um, which we will talk about in the next segment called Bottom 40 and 40. And we're going to take a quick break now for some promos. We're speaking with Justin, and we'll be right back with more Outlook. Welcome back. You're listening to Outlook on 94.9 Radio Western or by podcast. And we are speaking today with Justin and we will get to your podcast, Justin, Disenabled. Yes. On Trent Radio. Radio show and podcast that we were very honored to appear on back in March. Although, you know, things get so busy this year and I know all about it with editing. The episode hasn't been released until now. So if you're listening to this live on the radio or as a podcast... In our podcast notes, we will share a link to the Disenabled podcast episode that we were featured on, and Justin, in turn, will be sharing this episode on his podcast notes. So this is really cool to be able to coincide the releases of our podcasts with each other. Yeah. Thank you again, Justin, for having us on. So we were talking about all the things we have in common and all maybe our differences, Catholic board versus public school boards. 
Uh, I want to jump ahead to, like you were saying at the beginning, audio and all that. But first, I just wanted to mention, uh, ask about Braille, because we do really promote that on the show. Uh, did you know Braille from an early age, or do you do well with Braille? Do you struggle with it? Do you use it? I... That that without Braille, I would be lost. Mm-hmm. That's basically the most succinct way I can put it. I've used it. I even started learning before I was in JK. My grandfather bought a Braille mat, and it was basically just a grid, and it had all the Braille letters on it. And on each square of the mat, it was laid out in a grid, there was a coinciding big picture of something, like A's for Apple and B's for Bobcat. Or, or something oh. along those lines. If I ever find it, uh, again, it's in the d- depths of the basement of the house I'm currently recording this from. So if I ever do, I will definitely let you guys know. I, man, I haven't seen that thing in years. Wow. No, yeah, that's like a cool version of the alphabet book that all kids, I think, have. Yeah, really. Right. Yeah, yeah that's so important nice. to be when you're when you're fortunate enough to learn Braille at such an early age like that. And, you know, not everyone has the same support and everyone's different, but... Just for us too, we learned it, or at least I did. Um, Carrie, being three years older than me, my parents were sort of prepared or sort of ready for. Well, you don't, you never totally prepared, but they were. They kind of knew what to do, and our mom was just very good. So I don't even remember learning Braille. Really, it was so early. I think it was would have been before kindergarten that I started learning the little bit of the alphabet. So, yep, she used to place um, Braille stickers uh, around the house on the glass of our our back door on the fridge uh, with the letter G that was your favorite letter and it because it always felt kind of neat the little square to the four dots was always neat to feel but yeah she had that from an early age and that obviously makes a big difference and we say all the time that braille really does open up doors for blind children and as they become adults in throughout school and into their working adult years it does help you and give you quite an edge over those who aren't unfortunately able to learn it for whatever reason so it's good to hear that all three of us here didn't have that and just to to reiterate the fact that there's it is still totally possible to learn braille later in life and that is also important Mm -hmm. to do it's just it does seem to be a little bit easier but like anything if you learn it as as a child it's it's a little bit easier to, to grasp than if you're a bit older but it doesn't mean it can't be done so exactly so justin you were saying at the beginning here about how you you were uh Creative writing was your thing, and then you discovered audio. Do you want to maybe tell us a bit about what that was like in your life? Well, creative writing just provided an outlet. I've always had a wild imagination. Even in the middle of class, I daydream all the time, just come up with these kind of things in my head, and it would always puzzle me because I took a few English courses, obviously, where we had assignments to write a creative story, and the teacher would insist that you had to have an outline for the story. And I didn't understand that. When I write, I basically hold my hands over the keyboard, call on whatever writing (laughs) force, if you want to call it that, compels me to imagine and go for broke. There's really no roadmap, maybe a basic idea that I want to get to, so I, I I struggled to flesh out, and I'm like, okay. And I thought to myself, because I can remember, I think it was grade 7, this happened the first time that I can remember. I asked my teacher, I said, okay, it's, it's creative writing. How can I be creative if you want a hard and fast detailed outline? 
that's not creative. That's structured, is it not? So they, they chuckled and they said, oh, it's part of the curriculum. We want to make sure it was more or less to make sure that the students were staying on track and not writing the story at the very last minute, which I did anyway. And that's sort of from a, a even younger than that, I would write, you know, little two page things about family going on adventures and, and stuff like that. But really started to take it serious around grade seven. In fact, I submitted a couple short stories to a few literary magazines. Uh, I didn't win, but I got a few, I, I was, uh, I can't even remember the name of the magazine, but I did get an honorable mention a couple times, like third place, fifth place, all that kind of stuff. And that's Canadian wide, 18 and older. I'm like, well, that's, it must be somewhat significant. And then when transitioning into audio, um, my first taste of it actually came in grade 11, right before I, sorry, grade 12, right before I graduated. I wanted to try, I was always experimenting with different formats of experiments with that uh, religion teacher. I was taking grade 12 philosophy in lieu of a grade 12 religion. And I approached him one day and I said, sir, can I write a lecture style assignment and then record it? And he said, I'll do you one better. You can perform it in front of the class if you want. So I said, okay. And I did. And then I, for my final assignment, I said, I want to record this assignment, this very last assignment. And he said, okay, you have a microphone and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that Chris, that previous Christmas, I had actually been gifted a microphone. It was a, a I'll say one of the lower end audio technicas, USB plug and play. And I was off to the races. I still have that lecture. It doesn't sound the greatest. And then when I was going to university, I thought that Trent Radio was just looking for someone to be a DJ. Like it was somewhat of a stereotyped station where you just went in, you know, you said your piece. It was like, it was sort of a cool novelty. Maybe I'll try it for, you know, a semester and spin some tunes and whatever. And uh, there was a career, uh, sorry, a clubs and groups day at, at Trent University. And so I went with uh, a friend of mine and we looked around and I, I met the program director for Trent Radio on the university campus. And I said, hey, what are you sort of looking for? And she said, uh, can, well, if you're interested, would you mind filling out a program proposal? Well, when I tried to, it was a PDF, and PDFs are the bane of my existence in terms of accessibility. Yes. So I asked her, <laughs> I asked to have maybe a, a Microsoft Word document or some alternative format. She's like, yeah, no problem. So she emailed me the template, and I filled it out. And I didn't realize that you got creative freedom over your show. And I thought, well, okay, what, are, what am I going to, so it's, it, the deadline was at like 7am and it was, I can distinctly remember it was about 2am and I'm rushing to fill this thing out. And the name disenabled came to me in, in, a, in a flash. I'm like, well, disability, you're enabling people with disability on oh, disen oh, that sounds, sounds pretty good. So that, that was born. And then once I just got behind a microphone after a couple shows i when i recorded live at the time it was only a half hour show had a couple guests on learned how the phone worked lear learned how the mixing board worked and all that kind of stuff i'm like man I, i'm really i'm enjoying this this is something that's keeping me sane amidst all of the exams essays papers projects that i that i have to do in university i could actually see myself doing this a lot of the time 
And not only that, I started experimenting with script writing and then recording myself doing voiceover work as well. So, and I'm still actually improving that. I've got a few projects, a few uh, gifts for family members uh, for Christmas and stuff like that that I'm working on that take hours and hours and hours. I just want, want them to be absolutely perfect. But October of 2019, know that as the month I caught the audio bug and I've really never looked back since. And I'm really happy that I get to merge my two passions and that of creative writing and now audio production into one sort of craft, if you want to call it that. Well, yeah, you definitely have the voice for it, for that type type of stuff. And uh, yeah, so that's that's really neat. So maybe go into a little bit more detail about the Disenabled podcast and what your plan is with, with the, the show and where you hope to lead in the future, what the overall theme of the show is. And then we'll also talk about you have a music show on during the summer called Bottom 40 and 40, if you want to talk a little bit about that as well. And that airs on Tuesdays from 9 to 10 p.m. And you can go to trentradio.ca to uh, to check that out. I appreciate you plugging that show. It it it's uh, it's gotten a little bit of traction. Um, that's in its second season. But I'll start with disenabled because that's my bread and butter. That's that's sort of what I pour a lot of my effort into. So with the podcast, the main focus is just talking to people, whether they be advocates of, amba- uh, you know, ambassadors for helping or actual people with physical disabilities. And the reason why I focus so much on the physical is because I myself have a physical disability. There's sort of a, a kinship, if you, for, for lack of a better term, in that. So I, I don't delve too deeply into cognitive. Every once in a while I will, but like I did a, a special, a, a Trent Radio special on Remembrance Day last year uh, about PTSD and that kind of stuff. But as I said before, it started as a radio show, and I'm apparently good at talking to people one-on-one. Uh, one thing I'm really working on is getting more consistent episodes out. Brian, I, I look up to you, man, because you pump an Outlook episode out every week, and it's it's a lot of work uh, on the audio editing side of things, or at least the post-processing. It, I always say my the, the best part of my process isn't when I release the episode. It's actually, well for for instance what we're doing now this is my favorite part where i'm just talking to the person and uh, i don't go in usually with any questions i have a basic idea and then i just go with the flow because with a podcast you're not limited for time i could have a 30 minute or six hour conversation with somebody and as long as i'm willing to put in the effort to make it sound good via audio editing and whatnot then I have that freedom to get as much or as little information as possible out of people, some really, really interesting people. I mean, I've I've virtually and in person met some of the most interesting people, not because of their disability, but just because of what they've been able to accomplish. And there are some people really makes you appreciate, like I'll give you an example. I've talked to a lot of people who are blind, and uh, the stereotype that everyone who's blind has the same personality, you know, it's like we're all clones or something. Um, that's been, that that has not been my experience. I've met some of the most outgoing um, people, most athletic. I mean, I, I've met more than three people who could bench press me, outrun me, outskate me, all this kind of stuff. And it, it it's not only inspiring, but it's humbling to know 
that dis well not even despite but they just the the disability has become so part so, so much a part of their life that they just see it as well integral and they don't even really think that dis in spite of it they've been able to accomplish it they just set their mind to something and they went for it yeah and that is definitely clear from our conversation on your show. Uh, it was a podcast and we were able to talk about a lot of stuff. So storytelling is the thread between creative writing, as you said, and audio storytelling and the kind you can do when you showcase other people's stories as long as uh, along with your own. So that's great. And I guess we want to be able to get to music too. Have you always been a music kind of guy also? Or like, how did that one come up along Disenabled? When the pandemic first hit, I thought I'd like to have a music review show, sort of get back to the, what I, uh, the original idea that I thought I was going to be doing at, at Trent. The thing is, we're not allowed to play top 40 hits. Brian, I'm sure you can, <laughs> with chin music and, and, and whatnot, um, right. I'm not sure of Radio Western's uh, guidelines. I think they say maybe you they... could play one hit on a show or something, but that's about it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really super limited. So digging for underground acts that I think sound good, it, it can be a, a really, really time-consuming task, but it, it is worth it. And it also helps me, this is the first season where I'm actually editing all of my content i had help from the program director last season and i'm so happy that i uh, i basically run my own ship i edit i pick the bands and and everything else that may sound a bit self-centered but i i just like having that creative control over what i'm putting out and uh, obviously the independence that comes with that is really really gratifying at the end of the day after you've put oh a good 8 10 12 hours into an episode but to answer your question about getting into music, Carrie, I really didn't start getting super invested into music until I was around 14, 15 years old. Went to a few concerts with my dad, and then I really started to slap on decent headsets and listen to the elements of music. And you could say maybe that's where I acquired, you know, a little bit of an ear for audio where it's like, oh, did you? Because uh, I can remember hanging out with a buddy and we were cranking the stereo or whatever hanging out and he said hey did you just hear that drum fill and i'm like what are you talking what's a drum fill i had no idea what what he was talking about and he said no you gotta listen so he rewound the the uh cd we were listening to at the time i'm like oh that's that's kind of cool how did you pick that out he said because i'm actually listening to the music so for me music was just something to listen to in the car up until that point but now I have a whole new appreciation for it and i mean i think that's a little bit apparent because i spend an hour every week talking about the different elements of one artist's album and sort of picking it apart, the goods, the bads, and the okays. And it's I think it's paid dividends because it really makes you appreciate the effort that goes into that kind of audio. Yeah, I mm -hmm. think that's a really cool show that you do and you've sent me a few clips here us both being fellow audio engineers here we like to mm -hmm. compare things a little bit and i thought it sounded amazing like the the quality that that you have and just the review part of it i've never actually really done reviews myself it's it's a, it's a whole other skill to be able to actually pick apart something like that and really give it a, an honest but very thoughtful um well structured review so i think that's a really neat idea and that is happening i believe just during the summer uh, the bottom 40 and 40 
Monday yeah. or Tuesday nights at uh, at 9 p.m. Eastern. And maybe just a little bit about as well about your uh, university. So what um, what are you going to school for? Are you currently still uh, enrolled in the program, or what, what's what's your situation with uh, with university? Well, that's where I have to give big ups to you, Brian. But let me let me back up to go ahead. I originally went to university thinking I was going to be the star psychologist, the blind visionary, as I joke with my friends. And I found out about two semesters in that it wasn't for me. So I switched to creative writing in my second year. And because of COVID, my grades started to drop dramatically because there was no in-person learning. So I took a hiatus. I'm still kind of on it from January all the way up into September. And I'm actually looking at the Fanshawe College audio engineering course just to see what it's all about. Not all the details are, uh, my, my post-secondary education is sort of in limbo. I know I want to pursue audio at a higher level, and you can only self-teach so much. But right now, um, I'm on the market for freelance and basic editing and stuff like that, so obviously making a, a, a little bit of, of money on for, for what it is. And there's besides the money that I'm making, the peanuts of it, um, it's it's really good practice for me to actually just, well, edit and, and practice it. Though I will say that's, the le- that's my least favorite part of the uh, creative process with this. Uh, talking into a mic is fun. Getting to know people is, is absolutely terrific. Reviewing music is, is super exciting. But the hours that you have to put in to audio cutting, applying whatever um, post-processing you ne- uh, effects you need to do, and then mixing, I'm just getting into. And of course, when you first get into something, you usually suck at it, and boy, do I ever. So it's a work in progress, and I know, I, I don't think I will be going, uh, I don't think, I, I don't think I'll be going back to uh, Trent. Not because it's not a good school, but it just, it's, there's nothing left there for me. So to say greener pastures, I don't want to say greener pastures because it sounds mean, but uh, it's just, it's not for me. It wasn't the right fit. It's great school, good teachers, but uh, just, again, you know, parting of the ways. And yeah, that's really important. I mean, you're you're a young guy and it's like, con- you know, common for everyone to start school and you don't quite know what you want, but you, so you try this and it doesn't quite work out. It's So it's, it's all experiencing and learning. And if you ever do end up going to music industry arts here at Fanshawe, I'd be more than happy to help you out with any anything it's always interesting to hear that because it's very um inspiring because you know i was there and i was the only blind person there they had had a couple in the past um that well definitely probably more than that like way back when they've been around for what at least 40 years i think that program um but it's not as common as i was hoping like kind of hope there'd maybe be more blind people or in the programs like that so just hearing that i think is, is very uh very inspiring and i you know, whatever you choose to do is, is uh, you'll have my support, but I just, uh, I appreciate that's, that. That's really Thank cool. You. Yeah. That would be interesting if you were to come to London and, and, uh, how, how would you say the pandemic is affecting you, has affected you? I mean, being a young guy like you are and just trying to figure out what direction in life you want to go. And, you know, this has been hard for all of us and in different ways, but for people, um, you know, in your position, I didn't know what, uh, what it's been like for you and imagining going forward as we all try to see how where all this is going to go. Well, on top of the pandemic, unfortunately, some family trials have come to light. Um, so it's, it, well, I mean, to be truthful, as truthful as I can without revealing too, too much, it's been rough. 
mm-hmm. um, getting out and sort of socializing. That's it's funny because I always say how introverted I am, but even sometimes a recluse needs a friend. And there were times during the pandemic where it's like, man, I haven't really gotten together with friends in person. I mean, it's one thing to dial up Zoom or FaceTime or Facebook Messenger's video chat and talk, but it's a whole other thing to be in the presence of of someone else without a mask on, without keeping six feet, just enjoying each other's company. So it's been, it's definitely been a time for resilience, at least for me, because when everyone was told to keep their distance, well, sometimes in certain mobility situations, I've had people scared to come near me because that's not social distancing. And uh, I've been stuck a couple times. Uh, There was an incident on the campus where that happened and I almost, well, ate concrete because it was icy and I actually almost, well, if I hadn't stopped myself or caught myself, uh, I could have been seriously hurt. And I asked for help and no one really, no one really came to my assistance, unfortunately. But what's life without adventure, I suppose? (laughs) Yeah. And we haven't even um, had the chance here on the episode to get into uh, mobility uh, travel yeah, so, skills that's a whole other ballgame for sure we're down to we have about four minutes just under four minutes left on today's show we're speaking with justin evangelo from host of the podcast disenabled definitely look it up the disenabled podcast on all podcast services also check him out on trent radio trentradio.ca for his show bottom 40 and 40 every tuesday during the summer at 9 p.m and i thought it would be neat to kind of touch briefly here as we wrap things up on, on the recent Canadian Federation of the Blind Convention, we did a two-part episode on it that aired recently on, on Radio Western and as the podcast. So we're really glad that we met you in time and were able to tell you about this event. And just a few quick thoughts on how you, in, how you found the convention. It was our first time doing it virtually, and we're really glad that you attended. I really would have liked it to be in person because I would have hopped a flight and actually been there and the way people talk about not only previous CFB conventions, but NFB ones in America where there's so many people, it's like, you know, when you when you actually crash canes together because you didn't see each other, I thought, man, what a what an interesting experience that would be. Um, you know, so I, I enjoyed the virtual convention. You, uh, the two of you did a fantastic job, even with a couple hiccups with scheduling mix-ups. And then obviously there was a tech issue as well and um you guys did a great job i'm seeing it and i'm so happy that something like that that exists and i know it's not the biggest and you guys basically keep it together with love and i guess well a somewhat virtual duct tape and, and donations because unfortunately it it doesn't get the exposure it deserves that's a whole other topic i, I obviously don't want to go into a rant but mm. it really was stimulating for me because it brought a bunch of issues to light the selection process for the panels was absolutely terrific so many different issues across the country canada's so vast brian you've said that a couple times as we've been chatting over these last few months and you don't really know what you don't know from coast to coast until it gets brought to light in say a very niche convention like that mm-hmm well, we can't wait till we can be in person again and have them, and we we can't wait till you can join us in person, like you said, because it is a whole different, a whole different feeling in person. 
Yeah, I mean, the difference was, too, with Zoom, we, we tried to have a bit more open chat at time, but just the schedule was so busy, whereas when, at least when you're in person, it is a little bit easier to sort of get to know people a bit more and talk to people. And that is really where it's at with all of these things. We talk about music industry arts, and you talked about meeting people by going to whether whatever audio course you may end up taking in the future. It's the, really the main part of it is the networking part and meeting the people and making those connections. And it's the same with, with the CFB and these organizations. It's just really the, the network building and, and being able to work with each other and use strategies and all these different techniques that we all use and figure out what works best for you. So yeah, just really appreciate that you were able to make it to the convention and we'd love to have you in person in the future. Definitely. Well, thanks so much, Justin. It's always great talking to you because we have such interesting conversations and we have quite a bit in common, the three of us, I think. So yeah, I wouldn't doubt it. I appreciate the opportunity to be on Outlook. And again, I, when I first listened to this show, it was your 100-episode spectacular, and I, I, I had to know which one of you was putting the audio together because I thought, man, this is leaps and bounds of what I'm producing. Good God almighty, this must have took a long time. So guys, thank you so much, and I look forward to uh, well having more traffic driven to my podcast, as selfish as it is, disenabled again, D-I-S-E-N-A-B-L-E-D. This has been a fun collab, and even though it took um, some months to put it together, it finally came to fruition, and I couldn't be happier with it. Better late than never. Check them out. <laughs> Send us an email. Outlook on RadioWestern at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at Outlook. CFB and on Facebook, facebook.com slash outlook on Radio Western.